Empower Radio presents Out of the Fog. Join intuitive guide and spiritual teacher Karen Hager for lively, positive conversation with lightworkers, healers, and dynamic wisdom keepers. Get ready for inspiration and connection. This is Out of the Fog on Empower Radio. Here's your host, Karen Hager. Hello and welcome to Out of the Fog. I'm Karen Hager. Each week at this time, we gather for spiritual conversation and enlightening guests. And I'm glad you're here. Is consciousness created by the brain? Or is that a misconception? Our guest today is fascinated by life's biggest questions. This is author Mark Gober, and he's here to challenge our assumptions about who we are and what we are as human beings. So on today's show, he will be sharing some of his cutting-edge ideas from his new book, An End to Upside-Down Thinking. Are you ready to meet him? Mark Gober's worldview was turned upside down in late 2016 when he was exposed to world-changing science. After researching extensively, he wrote An End to Upside-Down Thinking to introduce the general public to these cutting-edge ideas, all in an effort to encourage a much-needed global shift in scientific and existential thinking. Mark is a partner in a Silicon Valley investment bank and strategy firm, and he's long sought answers to life's most challenging questions. As an undergraduate at Princeton, he studied the invisible forces that secretly drive human behavior, getting a degree in psychology with a focus on behavioral economics. You can find out lots more about Mark and his work at markgober.com. Mark, welcome to Out of the Fog. Thanks so much for having me. Thank you for coming on the show. So you say that before we read your book, we should suspend everything we think we know. Now that tantalizes the heck out of me. Why do you say that? The ideas that I discuss in the book are so contrary to the conventional way of thinking and the way of thinking that I was brought up in academically and otherwise that I wanted to trap the readers with that with that warning that's the first sentence of the book uh, because we have to remember sometimes that there are so many things in the universe that we really don't understand very well and throughout history time and time again people have gotten comfortable with their way of thinking and have thought they knew much more than they actually did and what i do in an end to upside down thinking is present a lot of scientific evidence from a number of different areas which suggests that we need to rethink as a society, some of our most basic assumptions about existence. So this really starts with that question of whether or not consciousness, or maybe our experience of consciousness, is created by our brain. What is it that you mean when you say consciousness? When I say consciousness, I mean our subjective inner experience. So when I say I'm speaking to you right now, that I, that sense of identity, it's, it's kind of an awareness. That's what I mean by consciousness. So it's not a tangible thing, but anyone listening to this conversation right now has a consciousness, has an awareness, has a sense of I that is experiencing reality. That's what I mean by consciousness. And so that's different than a sense of kind of a group consciousness, shared consciousness, something that comes from outside of us, or is it? That's a really good question. And what the argument that I make in the book is that we all have our kind of individual sense of awareness, but it's that, that individual sense is part of a much broader consciousness. So the analogy that I use is one from a philosopher named Dr. Bernardo Castro, who says, imagine that all of reality is like a stream of water, where water represents consciousness, and each of us 
is like a whirlpool within the broader stream. So we're fundamentally made of water, i.e. consciousness, but we have these delineations in our individual whirlpools. So we're all fundamentally made of consciousness, even though we have these localized uh, sets of perception. Well, and, and part of the research that you present in your book at least suggests to me, if we're going to follow that metaphor, that even if I'm in my own whirlpool, there's a way for me to stretch out, reach out, and kind of see what's happening in the rest of that stream to be part of, the, of that larger flow. That's right. That's right. So the model would predict that access to things non-locally would be very much possible. So things like telepathy or remote viewing, which is a form of clairvoyance, these are things like accessing parts of the stream that are outside of one's whirlpool, but they're not actually outside. They're just because we're all part of the same stream. It's just accessing something that our, our brain is not typically showing us. So I'm going to go back a little bit. So your bio says that you're an investment banker. And so how did you, what turned you on to all this? You don't sound like a unicorn kind of, like I'm a unicorn rainbow, you know, psychic. Like you don't sound like a unicorn guy. What turned you on to all of this? I've always had big questions about existence and whether life has meaning and what am I doing here. And, and the conclusion that I used to come to when I would think about these questions is that the universe is totally random and life has no meaning. And as I look back at those uh, statements and why, why did I think that, I realized it stemmed from a belief about consciousness. It stemmed from the belief that the reason that I'm conscious right now is, is due to chemical activity in my brain and nothing else. And therefore, when my brain stops functioning, then my consciousness, my memories, my emotions and feelings, they'll all be gone. They'll be wiped out forever. Because once the body dies, it's over. So I, under that way of thinking, I, I thought that life had no meaning at all and that any kind of meaning that I could try to come up with was just a rationalization and that eventually everyone dies and it's over and it doesn't mean anything. It doesn't matter. So that's where I used to come from. But I still ask those, those big questions. And that was just what the science had shown me at the time. Um, and actually back in college when I was at Princeton, I thought about majoring in astrophysics. But because of my commitments on the tennis team, I, was, I didn't have time to do it. So I think the interests have always been there in the background. And, you know, I've been, in, I've been working in business for a while for the last uh, 10 plus years. Um, and it was about a little over two years ago that I first became exposed to the topic of consciousness in the way that you and I are discussing. It was through listening to podcasts. I was listening to a health podcast called Extreme Health Radio, and the next guest on in the queue, she was a woman who had psychic abilities and worked with energy and talked to the deceased, things that I had never heard of. And I remember I was looking for other podcasts to listen to, so that prompted me to then um, listen to other podcasts like it when I would drive to and from work, driving on the 101 in the Bay Area where there can be traffic. So I ended up hearing lots of podcasts like that, later, talking about psychic abilities, surviving bodily death, things I had never heard about really in a serious way beyond science fiction. That led me to then look at the scientific research because I, I became intrigued that so many people were, were having these independent experiences and talking about a reality that I didn't know about. And as I looked into the science and saw that there were studies done by the U.S. government, studies done at Princeton by the former dean of engineering, studies done at the University of Virginia and many other places, I became really interested and then spent a full year of doing nothing but researching. It became almost like a compulsion where 
when I wasn't working, all I wanted to do was understand this new, much bigger picture of reality than what I thought was real. And that's what ultimately prompted me to write the book. And for readers who come into this, and there are names in, in there are names in your book that that some of us who've been around for a while, um, you're talking about Dean Radin, you're talking about other people whose research is is known. You're bringing research that sometimes has been mm, scoffed at by people on the outside, and it feels to me, at least as I read the book, that you are legitimizing that research by looking at it in a new light. Is that fair to say? It's very fair to say. I think it's one of the motivations behind writing the book, which is I think many of the scientists have not been treated fairly, and the work they're doing is extremely important. So to marginalize their research is, I think, actually holding back not only science, but society in general. So I I wanted to put the best of the best of the, the evidence into one place in the hopes of bringing further credibility to the area. So you start off by talking about that idea of materialism, the idea that the brain is that I am, that I am conscious because my brain is, I don't know, making little sparks or something. And that's what makes me conscious that when I die, that that's the end. What is the opposite of that? As you see it, when you turn it on its head, what, what do you, what is this that you're talking about? The view of materialism, which you mentioned, the idea that the brain produces consciousness or more fundamentally that matter produces consciousness because your brain is made of matter. And under the materialist perspective, the universe started with a big bang that just filled the universe with matter. And then from a bunch of random interactions between those pieces of matter, we ended up with DNA and a human being and a brain and then consciousness. So that's the conventional perspective. Matter is the primary basis of everything. And from matter, when we configure it in a certain special way, like in a brain, we end up with consciousness as a byproduct. That's the conventional view. What I mean by an end to upside-down thinking is rethinking that perspective. So instead of saying that consciousness comes at the very end, that consciousness is a product of matter, what I'm arguing is that consciousness is primary. So consciousness is almost before matter. So that puts the body, that puts the whole physical world as something that's happening within consciousness, rather than saying that there is an independent world and then consciousness is an emergence within that world. It's a complete reversal of the conventional thinking. And so as we step into that reversal, what does that mean for society? I mean, that to me, that impacts Every level, not just society, but the way we think about our physical body, the way we think about our connections with each other, the way we think about health and science. And what are some of the effects that this could have? There are so many, so many. And and for the exact reasons you just said, this is why I felt so compelled to write a book about it, because it affects everything. I think medicine, our science, our technology, they, all of these disciplines have to account for consciousness in a new way. But I think more in a, in a day-to-day life, Uh, perspective. The notion that consciousness isn't dependent on the body implies that when the body dies, consciousness doesn't die, meaning that our consciousness just simply transitions into a new form when our body dies. For many people, especially someone like me who, who had no idea that those ideas actually existed in a credible way, that was a world changing idea. The notion that, that this body is not it. So I think that's a big one. To me, the biggest implication of all is the notion that we're interconnected as part of the same stream of consciousness. 
Um, Erwin Schrodinger, the famous physicist, Schrodinger's cat is what he's best known for. He said, in truth, there is only one mind. And that is kind of what this picture in the book that I, I describe is pointing towards, the notion that we're all connected as part of the same consciousness. So that has huge implications for how we think about treating each other, how we look at others, how we look at the planet. I think, to me, the, the, the core issues we see in the world today ultimately stem back to a belief that we're fundamentally separate. And that belief in separation is exactly what I'm challenging in the book. And there are a lot of teachers, um, Scott Braun, who's the author of Active Peace, is one of them, but a lot of teachers right now who are saying that, that our belief, that kind of, uh-huh. our commitment to the myth of our separation is one of the most destructive things happening in society right now, in the world right now, are being locked into that idea that we are separate from each other because, of course, we're just not. Totally, totally. And I think many people probably don't even realize it's an assumption that we have. I certainly didn't even think about it before I, I got into this research. I think it's just so assumed that our eyes, they show us separation. They show a me and a table over there and a person over there and a tree over there. We are so biased by our perception that we don't even think to question, is there something at a deep, deeper level? And is there something about our perception that might be not 100% accurate? Uh, and do we need to question our perception? Exposing the ideas hopefully will help. You're listening to Out of the Fog with Karen Hager. My guest is Mark Gober. His new book is An End to Upside-Down Thinking, Dispelling the Myth that the Brain Produces Consciousness and the Implications for Everyday Life. You can find out more about Mark and his work at markgober.com. That's M-A-R-K-G-O-B-E-R.com, markgober.com. So, Mark, when we start to feel into that idea that there's more going on than we can be aware of, when we start to, as we see in your book a lot, take a look at the research that says that when we observe something, it is changed as a result of our observation. When we start to realize the power of our awareness as something that can create change, what can we do with our gifts? How can we move forward to make change? Well, the notion that consciousness is the primary basis of everything physical implies that the physical world is happening within our own consciousness collectively. And that has big implications for how we think about our own uh, thoughts and our own mindset. It it puts a greater emphasis on how we're thinking about things and the the sorts of intentions that we are putting out. So I personally now am much more aware of the intentions because what the, the research suggests is that our intentions can have an effect on the physical world. And maybe sometimes it's a subtle effect and, and sometimes things occur in a, a nonlinear way where a tiny effect seemingly ends up having a big effect in ways that we can't fully understand. When you combine that idea with what we see in quantum physics, the, the classic experiment is known as the, the double slit laser experiment. It shows similar things, which is that the observer is having an effect on steering physical reality. All of this is to suggest that the way that we are thinking individually and collectively could have a huge impact on the way the world is functioning. As you have explored these ideas, as you said, it was a year, two years of deep immersion in this. Have you come to find in yourself any intuitive abilities or anything that may seem that you're going a little bit outside your own whirlpool for yourself? Things happen more and more often now where I'm thinking of someone I haven't thought of in a while and then 
something happens with that person. Like I'll get a text or I hear about them. That sort of thing seems to be happening a lot. And I, I think my sense of intuition is much stronger than it used to be. So to me, it's happening on a much more subtle level than some of the examples that I hear of. It's kind of a subtle knowing that seems to occur more and more often. Mm-hmm. I think it's. I think that's part of that idea of how when you become aware of something, a whole new world opens up, right? That intuition, that knowing was probably with you all along. It's just that you gave yourself permission to take a look, right? Became aware that it was available to you. And Absolutely. So, and so it is. There, if we're continuing on that line of our awareness of things creates change, what does this mean for artificial intelligence? You've got a really funny passage, what I found interesting, funny, in the book about how maybe artificial intelligence doesn't really have a soul. Can you say a little bit about that? Yeah, I hear a lot about artificial intelligence in the news and people saying that it's potentially the end of the world. It's a very uh, potentially catastrophic effects of artificial intelligence. And certainly there are dangers to a machine that is programmed by a human being to do terrible things. We could create a machine to do things that are not good for society. So that is certainly a danger. The question, however, is whether or not these machines themselves can develop this subjective inner experience that we're calling consciousness. Can the machines develop feelings? Can they develop emotions? Can the show Westworld, which has machines, that basically all of a sudden become conscious, they develop memories, and then they start to take over. Is that a realistic scenario? What I argue, what I think is the case, is that if we go back to this view, is it matter that's creating consciousness, or is consciousness fundamental to matter? If, if, if we adopt the conventional view, which is that matter creates consciousness, then yes, we would eventually be able to make a machine that becomes conscious. Once we figure out how to... Con- configure that matter in the machine and basically recreate a brain, then the machine will become conscious. I think that's an assumption in society today. And I would challenge that idea because it seems that consciousness is not coming from the brain. So we couldn't create new consciousness through a machine. That's what I I now think. So that we could create new consciousness through the machine? That we could not. That we could that not. We could okay, not. good. I just yeah. wanted to check because I was like, wait, I thought I understood and now I didn't. But look, now I understand again. Okay, good. Um, <laughs> um, as When we look at things like medicine, when we look at our ideas of how the physical, emotional, mental, energetic bodies can receive healing, what does this research that you present tell us about maybe what's in the future for our ideas about healing? Well, as we, as we talked about earlier, this idea that, that our consciousness can have an effect on the physical world, our, our body is physical. So how, what does that mean about our thoughts and our intentions? What does that do to our physical body or someone else's physical body? At the very least, I think it's based on what I've seen, it is probably wise to watch one's thoughts and try to think positively about our own health and our own bodies. I, I don't think there's any harm in doing that, and there might even be a positive effect. There are cases beyond that of people who seem to have extraordinary abilities in terms of healing to, um, to heal people using their minds. And I talk about some cases in the book of, of credible institutions that have looked at this, and there are apparently some cases of these extraordinary abilities for someone else's mind to have an effect on another person's body. So these sorts of ideas are completely revolutionary for medicine, which has typically regarded the mind and things like nutrition as 
as being very much secondary. But what if it's not secondary and there's this whole huge area of potential healing that medicine is ignoring? I feel like this needs to be explored and we will all benefit if we incorporate a new and more comprehensive picture of consciousness. Well, and because, at least as I believe, we we start with that intention, and that's wonderful, but when there are things put in place to help amplify and validate and grow that intention, then the effect is even greater. So it's one thing for me to think about my own nutrition, but if, for example, the the healer or the physician who I go to also has that focus and holds me up in my focus, right? So it's those intentions and the support and validation and amplification of those intentions, and now we've got something that could really make a big change. Absolutely. I agree with you. A few years ago, I, I wouldn't have understood what you just said, but now I, I am <laughs> totally with you. Um, and there are many, my children, for example, who still have no idea what I'm saying. They just shake their heads and go back into their phones. They don't, they don't know what I'm saying. Um, yeah, I think our education system is just pointing in a different direction. And until you've been exposed to these other ideas, it just doesn't, doesn't register. And that's why I wanted to correct the upside-down thinking for people, and hopefully more people will understand the important work that you and others are doing, because I think it's critical that these ideas get out there. Now, we've just got a couple minutes left together. Can you let us know about your website, let us know what else you're working on, and how the listeners can connect with you and learn more? And my website, markgober.com, M-A-R-K-G-O-B-E-R.com, has more information on me and my book and uh, many of the other interviews that I've done, some of the articles I've written, they're available on my media page. Also, I have a podcast of my own that will be coming out sometime in 2019. Ooh. I've done interviews with almost 50 uh, scientists and practitioners in the in the space, and many of those people are the people that I reference in the book. So Dr. Dean Radin, Rupert Sheldrake, many people like that I interviewed, and I wanted to put all of those interviews in one place for people, sort of like what I did for the book, so that people who are interested in learning this information can hear from the scientists themselves. I, that's fascinating. And it takes it out of the woo-woo place. It takes it out of the late night conspiracy theory, right? It takes it out of the wacky place and puts it in a space where we can look at everything in the light of day and see that's part of why this is so important. I agree with you. Totally. Wow. Fantastic. Mark, thank you very much for being on the show. Besides your podcast art, could we have another book, please? <laughs> Thanks for asking. I, I've been asked that by multiple people now. And, you know, I, I, I didn't even have a plan of writing a book two years ago. This came up spontaneously in the summer of 2017. So right now I'm just, I'm enjoying the fact that this book is out. And if the passion arises again, then I will think about it. <laughs> That's a very, it's a very moderate yet open answer. No, I like that. Mark, thank you so much for being on the show. Okay. Thanks so much for having me. That is Mark Gober. His new book is An End to Upside Down Thinking, Dispelling the Myth that the Brain Produces con Consciousness and the Implications for Everyday Life. You can find out more about Mark and his work at markgober.com. That's M-A-R-K-G-O-B-E-R.com, markgober.com. And as I was saying just a little bit ago when I was talking to Mark, that if, if you believe, and I believe this truly, that when we take our intentions and we amplify them, we um, validate them, we support them, 
change can happen. And if you believe that way, you might want to check out openpeacefulheart.com. It's where you can get information about a free monthly guided meditation that we do the first Sunday of every month. People from around the world are invited to attend. There's no selling, no yelling, just 15 minutes of focus on peace in our hearts and peace in the world. It's kind of like stepping out of your little whirlpool and coming into being aware of your place in that greater stream of consciousness. We are all connected and the things that we do to create separation, to create disruption, to create pain and loss and um, division, those things hurt all of us. So have a look at openpeacefulheart.com and check out that free monthly 15-minute guided meditation series. You're also very welcome over at my website, karenhager.com. Wonderful place to check out upcoming classes and events and even book a private session with me if you are so inclined. That's at karenhager.com. And thank you for listening today. Together we are spreading a little more light in the world and a little more light is always a good thing. Until next time, I'm wishing you Peace.